Bit soggy, isn't it? Man, this is good. Hey, uh, just a couple of uh, highlights as we... Okay. Oh, let me... I think it's me, Flint. It's my personality that shorts out this... We uh, we had problems in the first service, and so it, it just it doesn't happen until they get up to preach. Get somebody else to preach, maybe, is what we need to do. Um, but I, I want to highlight a couple of things uh, to you. One is uh, every second Monday of the month, we are involved in what's called Unceasing Prayer Movement. Unceasing Prayer Movement is an Austin area-wide uh, prayer movement that uh, over 30 churches are involved, and each congregation takes a day of the month so that our entire area is prayed for. Our day is the second Monday of each month, which begins at midnight tonight. Now, we have a a calendar of people that you sign up for every 30 minutes, and and you're signed up. So if you're here and you're saying, man, I'd like to get in on that, we'll pray anyway. If you'd like a designated time, we're doubling up on times and everything, you can contact the church office. And uh, you can get, you know, we're going to pray at, at uh, 4.30 in the morning, at 8 o'clock at night, whatever it may be. And uh, w- so we're just doubling up. But that's fantastic. We're praying, and there you get a prayer guide with that. appreciate Bob Schwader and his leadership there in that prayer guide. So that's one thing I want to highlight. The other one is, is what Alan just highlighted. If you're a guest today, man, so glad that you're here. We do a, 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 a class. It's a meal with some talking afterwards called uh, Intro. To Central, and uh, it's today, and it's our membership opportunity class to find out more about the church. And we're meeting in the front building uh, directly after this service. So if you'd like to come, if you're a guest and would like to be a part of that, then you can uh, you can uh, take advantage of that today as well. Um, a couple of weeks ago, we started a, a message series on marriage, and this is a little bit different. You know, uh, talked on marriage before highlighted some different things and walked through some stuff and I don't know if I'm getting older or I see the battle intensifying and uh, so as I was really praying about this the Lord just kept pushing me back to what did Jesus actually say about marriage and so the last two weeks we've kind of defined marriage and how Jesus and Jesus defined it as he was confronted he went back to creation and uh, so he pushed it way back. And, and I think one of the things that has I, I just can't figure out is that over the last five years, there's been 18,000 books written by Christian authors on marriage. And yet marriages are still falling day in and day out. It leads me to know this. You ready? We are in a war. And uh, every time, I tell you, this whole month, getting ready to speak to you, and as we have gone through this series, there, there, I feel like there's a war. I just feel like, you know, worship, part of worship, I, I've got to be careful about going into two sermons here, but part of worship is warfare. And I really believe, hear me, I believe that what we're involved in right now, from the singing to the giving to the spending time with each other in prayer and just fellowship, I believe we're doing war, and we need to be doing war for marriages in this very place right now. Okay? So I can't be more intense about that. i tell you another thing that gets under my skin. I'll get to you, honey, in just a minute. Uh, uh, This is, I just brought her up here for looks. Uh, 
sucks. I know I struggle, man. I know how to work this thing. I was going to say something real good. Oh, it, no, I'm serious. Here, here's another thing, and this is just part of the strategy of the enemy. And I know I see this, and our other pastors see this as well in dealing with marriages. It breaks our heart when we want it to succeed more than the couple does. And that breaks our heart. Just think how God wants it to succeed. And it can succeed with his help. Without him, it cannot. And part of the deal about re, uh, doing a factory reset, so to speak, as Jesus did with marriage to reestablish the standards, some people may think, well, Mark, why, in our day, why don't, why don't you talk against other types of marriage and this kind of stuff? Listen, listen, I think... The key is not attacking other marriages. The key is reestablishing what God intended for marriage in the first place. And then when we can see that picture, now we know what to move towards. It's like if you've ever had a puzzle and you've lost the lid to the puzzle, you've got all the pieces, but you don't know what you're making. So you just look at other people around you and you say, this is what I ought to be making when God had something totally different that he wanted to make. And so what Jesus did, we talked about, was we did a factory reset. We went back to what God intended for marriage in the first place. And so we're going to talk about that uh, uh, in the next level today. There are three things I ask of you, though, stepping into this. One is to take the word impossible out of your vocabulary because uh, many people just say, I can't do this, anything in life. I can't do this because I didn't have a good example. I, I can't do this because I'm not smart enough. I can't do this because I'm not spiritual enough or good enough or whatever the junk w- is that we tell ourselves. We're going to take the word impossible because with God, all things are possible. And so we're going to lean into that. The second thing I ask of you is that if you are currently uh, about to file for a divorce or you're in the midst of divorce proceedings right now, I ask you to take, uh, as long as we're in this series, to, to uh, take the opportunity to not follow through the, on that until we're done. I did say if uh, last week, I just reminded you, if you're in an abusive situation, you safety, you need to get away. But I'm just asking you to put that on hold till we're through with this series. It's a six-year series, so we're, we're going to be... We're going to be okay. So the the third thing I said is this. I challenged you other, especially as a couple, other than mealtime, to set a time, a, a time to pray. And uh, this is my wife's uh, passion. Uh, and, and so I wanted her to come and share with you a little bit about praying together as a couple. Welcome my wife, Pam. You talk so long, I start getting nervous. <laughs> I was really good because I'm sitting down because we're going to be like we're in either his office or at our house, casual. I'm just talking to couples, so that's I'm good. I'm not nervous. Okay, so praying out loud as a couple, we have to remember that praying is simply talking to the Lord. Okay, and for some reason, most of us get really uptight when it comes to praying out loud. I really believe that's a tactic of the enemy. I think he wants to scare us, and I think he knows how good a marriage can be if a couple is praying together. So I'm really here to encourage you that if this is something you haven't done or maybe you did it before and then you stopped doing it, this is a day we're all going to jump back on that bandwagon. Um, 
you know, Ephesians talks about the man being the head of the woman, and I totally don't get that at all, except that I do know, I mean, I don't understand it, I don't, but I do know that God gave man the position of spiritual authority over his home. So that is a position that the man is supposed to hold. For some reason, I'm going to give the enemy full credit on this in our culture, men have given that over to women. The woman has become the spiritual head of the home. And that's not how God intended it at all. He intended for the man to take that position. So my challenge today is for you men, take back what God gave to you. Your wife will gladly give that to you. She doesn't want it, but she takes it because you're not doing it. Okay? There's no judgment. There's no condemnation in that. Okay? It's just, come on, let's 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 do what the Lord's called you to do. Um for us, this was probably after we'd been in ministry for 15 years when I finally came up to Mark and said, you know, you're praying with your men's group, you're praying with your group on this morning, you're praying with your, this group in the evening, and you're not praying with me. You know, what, what is that? And, um, he, yeah, that was pretty So we, <laughs> that kind of got him on the wagon. So um, we have, and I'm not going to say we're 100% of the time, but most of the time we are praying together every day. So now I'm very practical because I'm a very practical and realistic person. Um, the way to do this, easy way, is to start by sharing a devotion together and then taking turns praying. One of the things that we do is uh, we read a devotion and then we have a group of people that we pray for every night. Uh, one night we pray for our neighbors. One night we pray for our missionaries that we personally know. Another night we pray for um, our friends. We pray for our family members. So you pick out those areas that mean a lot to you and just set a night and, and pray for those people. That's easy. That's easy. Okay. The other thing is once a week you need to do this and this will this will really transform your marriage if you've been to anything we've done on marriage, we call this the knee to knee. And that is where once a week you get with your spouse and you sit knee to knee and you ask your spouse, like I would ask Mark, how are you doing physically? And he would tell me, and I'd just listen, how are you doing spiritually? And he would tell me, and i just listen. And then how are you doing emotionally? And he would tell me, and i just listen. And then i say, is there anything I can do to help you? And most of the times he will say, no. I'll say, okay, let me pray for you. And then I pray for him over those areas. And then we flip it, and he does the same thing to me. He prays over me. There's nothing that will bring you closer to your spouse than than just praying over each other. It's such a good thing, and I think that's why the enemy has just set out to say it's not necessary. It is, if you want a good marriage. Okay, so here's the realistic person. I know when you walk out of here, this is gone. So what I want you guys to do, and this is where the whites can actually elbow today, get your phones out and set a reminder. Okay? Y'all can do it. This is the time. Get those phones. Hit your spouse. Okay? Set a reminder for either, I don't know, whatever time tonight that your kids are asleep or that you know we're going to have 15 minutes. You just want 15 minutes that you put into a spiritual context. Okay? And then this is when... You're going to read the devotion and pray together. If you're already doing this, that's great. Um, now, truthfully, you're going to say, Pam, this is really not that big of a deal, but it really is because I can tell you in the years of counseling that we've done, we have never, ever counseled a couple that was praying together. 
for any kind of marital problems. So this is like, I mean, this is pretty much a guarantee that if you want to stay strong in your marriage, you need to be praying together. Um, Because hard times are going to come. We all run into hard stuff. Life is just, life hits you. But if you're connected to the Lord and if you're connected to your spouse, you can get through those hard times and, and stay together in it. Okay, I'm done. Yeah. She's good, isn't she? Yeah. She got an amen in the first service, and I I don't get too many of those. I I really appreciate that, and and uh, I'll I'll tap into that in just a moment as well. I want you to uh, take your copy of the scriptures, whether it's on your device or or you have your Bible. I want you to turn with me to Matthew 22. And uh, I've told you that um, uh, Jesus, when he spoke on marriage, it was usually because he was confronted in a particular area. The Pharisees, uh, I told you that there's different religious uh, uh, affiliations within the Jewish organization. There was the, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Essenes. There's different groups. We talked about the Pharisees, how they confronted Jesus. Now the Sadducees are going to come. The Sadducees, the difference between the Sadducees and the Pharisees, the Pharisees would have been considered very liberal, allowing a lot of things to happen. The Sadducees were very strict. Uh, what they felt like, according to the Mosaic Law, did not believe in the miraculous, though, especially in the afterlife, which the Pharisees did. So they come to confront Jesus on this. And uh, I want to I want to say this. Um, there, there used to be when somebody got married, they said that they were going to have uh, entering into holy matrimony. That's the term that was used. You don't hear that terminology anymore. The word holy means set apart for a purpose. God has has chosen marriage of a husband and a wife set apart for his purpose. It is holy, and it's a holy matrimony. And we talked about the defining of that, which was it's a covenant relationship, not a contract, between a male and a female and God, which gives God honor and glory. That's the primary thing about marriage. It's to give glory to God. And he's pleased, and out of his pleasure, we receive pleasure. It's, it's an incredible thing to see. Now, there's a lot of byproducts uh, of uh, secondary byproducts of, of marriage. I'm going to read the scripture in just a minute. Hang on. Uh, there's some secondary byproducts of marriage, and we know that, such as romantic expression, uh, childbearing and rearing, close companionship, care and provision, uh, fun, happiness. These things do exist within uh, marriage. However, here's the question. What if those things start to go awry for some reason? Let's say your physical health or mental health begins to deteriorate for some reason. And, and that was one of the, the enjoyments of marriage. Let's say that, as Pam said, times get hard. It's not as fun as it used to be. You're not able to date like you used to be because you got kids you're taking care of all the time. It's just not what it used to be. So can you say, okay, because that's not there anymore, then our marriage must not be any good. You see, when the secondary things become your primary thing, then the primary thing gets kicked out. So the primary thing is to give God glory, okay? So if your health deteriorates or your mental capacity and you're not able to have romantic expression, you're not able to do things, that happens. But you did not lose your primary function, okay? 
I saw this come reality several years ago. I was speaking in Grand Prairie at a church for several days, and one of the days they uh, put together an opportunity to go play golf. And so I went to play golf, and the pastor invited a man to come with him. And uh, this man was unable to come to Sunday services very much, but he was able to come this day to golf. And uh, here's the reason. For the last seven years, he had been taking care of his wife, who was in a vegetative state. And he was able to get a caregiver that day so he could come and play golf. Now, and he, he loved his wife. He had every reason to say all those secondary issues. She's not a companion anymore. There's no fulfillment in this anymore. There's no romantic intimacy in this anymore. He had every right to say this marriage could be thrown away. But, you know, he knew the primary reason was to give glory to God. And he made a covenant with God. And thus the marriage was going to make it, even though she was in the vegetative state. Let's always remember the primary. Now, I, I, I made a promise when I got into this series that I would look at everything Jesus said about marriage. And not all of it was I going to understand. Not all of it was I going to necessarily like. But in Matthew chapter 22, verses 23, and we're just going to go through verse 30. Let me read it. It says, That same day the Sadducees, who say there is no resurrection, came to him with a question. They're testing him. Teacher, they said, Moses told us that if a man dies without having children, his brother must marry the widow and raise up offspring for him. Now there were seven brothers among us. The first one married and died, and since he had no children, he left his wife to his brother. The same thing happened to the second and the third brother, right on down to the seventh. Finally, the woman died. Now, actually, in the Jewish heritage, there was something called a Leverite marriage. And what that meant was, is that if you were married and you did not have a son to carry on your name, then your brother would come and take in your your uh, wife, widowed wife, to uh, see if she could, the lineage could be carried on. Now, this is such an outlandish proposition they're making to jesus but they were trying to trap him and so finally the woman died it says now then at the resurrection whose wife will she be of the seven since all of them were married to her and jesus replied now this is great because jesus is so wise because sadducees and the pharisees would say they based everything on the scriptures so this is what jesus says you are in error because you do not know the scriptures Or the power of God. Man, nailed him. You don't know the scriptures. And he's going to go on to unfold and unpack the scriptures in a way they would understand. But I want to rest on verse 30 just a moment. It says, at the resurrection, this would be probably what he's referring to here is the ultimate kingdom of heaven. uh, The new heaven, new earth, this, this, uh, at the resurrection, people will neither marry nor be given in marriage They will be like the angels in heaven. I've read that many times, and I've got to be honest. Sometimes I think, man, I really love my wife. Does this mean when we get heaven or get to the very presence of Jesus that we're not going to even have that relationship? We're not going to be husband and wife? You know, what's that going to be? I mean, that kind of puts a kick in in that. I I mean, some of you may be thinking, man, I'm looking forward to heaven. I I hope that's not the... (laughs) hope that's not the case, but, but, you know, it's kind of that, 
that kick, you know, what, what is he really saying here? Let, let's first of all see what he's not saying, okay? First of all, he's not saying that you will become an angel in heaven. You're not going to become some little cherub with wings and a harp. I mean, you know how it's always been fictitiously put out there. You do not become an angel. There were a set number of angels created by God, and those angels uh, exist. And they were servants, ministers of God that he used. He uses. You will not become one. Okay? The second thing, he does not say that there will not be a relationship with your spouse that's incredibly close in heaven or the kingdom. He's not saying that. So don't be thinking, well, gosh, we really love each other. We've been together our whole earthly life. And, man, they're going to be thousands of, way, thousands of miles away, and I'm going to be here. And that's not what he's saying. So let's not put into there what he's not saying. He says there will not be given in marriage. In fact, the Sadducees saw marriage this way. They saw marriage as a contractual thing in that they would marry someone so that they could get a dowry. They would marry someone so they could get land. It was a business move that they were making, and this is the way they would view marriage. When it comes into the kingdom of heaven, there will not be any contractual stuff. There will not be any of that that takes place. Many scholars, uh, man, I'm telling you, I've read extensively on this. Many, many, uh, some say, well, it will not be a marriage relationship. There will not be a a need for a marriage relationship. There will not be a a need for propagation, which means the furthering of bringing newborns into the world, because it, it will all come to an end as far as that goes at that point. Others have said there will continue because of the fulfillment of what God did and the oneness that that oneness will continue. We will not know until fully we're in the kingdom of God. But I do this morning want to give you what I think are four key elements that I see here in this passage that will lead into you having a marriage that will make more look like the puzzle box that he intended. Now, you can't do it on your own. So uh, I don't want you thinking, oh, I can flesh this out and make it. No, you cannot. Let's confess. Marriage is hard Okay? And so some of you that aren't married thinking, man, I'm glad he said that. That uh, that will help me not go into that. But something will happen, I guarantee you. So here, four key thoughts. The first one, these are a little lengthy. For some reason, I I just got lengthy, but it will make sense. The first one is this. Earthly marriage is a signpost pointing to a greater union to come. Earthly marriage is a signpost pointing to a greater union to come. What do I mean a signpost? Stop sign, yield sign, uh, merge sign, whatever, when you're going home today, train crossing sign. We had a train earlier. You have these signposts. They're pointing, directional signs. These are pointing. This is what a signpost is. A marriage, and what God intended is for a marriage of a godly couple to point others to Jesus. That's huge. We just think our marriage is about me. I chose Pam. She chose me. We're going to live our life out. We're going to have kids, blah, blah, blah. No. The Lord put us together so that we could be a signpost of others coming to Christ. Do we often mess up? Yeah. But it is a picture of what he is wanting to do because, you see, the earthly covenant that a man and a woman make in marriage is a physical picture of the covenant that God made with mankind through Jesus 
When Jesus came, he gave his life ultimately on a garbage heap, on a cross for the sins of the world. He loved us. And so what he did is he set up an eternal covenant with us that cannot be broken. And so the earthly covenant of a man and a woman is a picture so that we can kind of grasp that. So people can look at that and say, there is a God and Jesus is real. And so we see the attack that the enemy puts on marriage all the time. And this part of marriage uh, is needed greatly in our day. Here's a quote for you. A God-centered marriage gives glory to God and points a broken world to a reconciling creator. Points a broken world to a reconciling creator. It models forgiveness, selfless love, and sacrifice, just like Jesus did for us. It models forgiveness, selfless love, and sacrifice. It is a shadow, an echo of something greater that is to come. If I'm sitting down with my head down and somebody walks by and there's a shadow, I'm seeing a shadow. I'm thinking that's a man, that's a woman, that's a child. But it's not until I see them that I fully understand. We are living in a shadow day. And marriage, as good as it may be or as struggling as it may be between two Christ followers, it is, hear me, it is but a shadow of incredible thing that God wants to do in bringing people to Christ. Okay? So that's number one. Number two. Our fulfillment in Christ, when we come to Christ, he fulfills us. Our fulfillment in Christ will be so beyond what we could ever have in an earthly union. Our fulfillment is in Christ, and it is beyond anything you can have in an earthly union. Think about your marriage. Think about your best friend. Think about those incredible relationships you had growing up with people, those college roommates, whatever it may have been. Incredible unions. You, those Christian friends that you've had where you could spill your guts and they could spill their guts and you just felt on the mountaintop with God. And then maybe in your marriage, you remember the day you were married, remember that incredible union, those early years and how you've grown in that relationship. These pale in comparison to the fulfillment that ought to come through Jesus Christ. You see, our identity is not built on what you think of me. My identity is in my creator. And so many of us are struggling today with our identity. And if we can understand that eventually our total fulfillment will be when we get into the presence of God. This scares me a little bit in our day, and and I'm guilty of it too. How many times do you talk to people and they say, man, I can't wait to get to heaven because my mom and dad are there. Or my grandparents are there. Or that child we lost is there. And I understand there will be that kind of reunion. I believe there will be that kind of recognition. But let me tell you, sometimes we can put other things as idols instead of knowing that one day I will be in the presence of my creator. You know, there are certain religions that we mock at because they say, well, I'm going to go to heaven and get all these virgins and these kind of things. And we we laugh at them and say, oh, that's the way it is. But how many times do people talk to Christians and they just talk about family members in heaven and don't talk about God? And so we got to be careful. Our fulfillment is in Christ. And I know this is hard because we are so broken and so limited. But our fulfillment is in Christ. Thirdly. Marriage should focus on external and eternal instead of internal and temporal. I'll I'll make this make sense. Marriage should focus on external and eternal 
instead of internal and temporal. You know, so many marriages grow stale through time. I mean, it happens. So you have, it's like breathing. You got, you got uh, obviously times when you need breath and there's times that you kind of get stale. We, we all gone through it. If you think it's not reality, just, just live a little bit. Sometimes staleness comes. However, most staleness comes because of focus on my needs and me instead of focus on others. Remember, we talked last week about pulling the unity candle apart or pulling the unity sand apart. We, we want our deal. I want my thing. Instead of focusing on, on us, we focus on me. And as Pam said, we never counsel, we've never had to counsel people who are consistently praying together or seeking God together. But many times we've had, he doesn't make me happy. I don't love him anymore. I don't love her anymore. Uh, we just can't get along anymore. We can't communicate anymore. These kind of things. And, and realizing that there are tools that you need to work on those. But we've just discovered it's a triangle principle, okay? You put God here. You put you here. As both of you are coming closer to God, you automatically come closer to one another. And what's happened is is we, we stay down here pulling apart or we try to work this thing together. And so there, we need to work on the external and the eternal. Now, here's about what I mean by that, is that the focus, I said last week that we is greater than I, and the we together, God has put you together to serve together. When we, one of the best things I can encourage you to do as a, as a couple or as a dating couple or, or, or anything in, in particular, and Jesus is big on this, is to serve together. You start serving together, and you see if God doesn't put you together ever closer. See, it's overcoming common objectives. It's working together. What happens a lot of times is people get married, and, and uh, they even do ministry separate. You know, I'm going to go do my thing. I'm going to go do my thing. And uh, you hope that you come together. I think there's nothing like serving together. I think it's huge. Uh, and, and so I can't encourage you enough because, you see, here's why. It's external and it's eternal, and it's not internal and just working on the temporary. So I encourage you in that area because it is eternal. Last thing. Now, this, one, this one's heavy because this one, I saved it for last because it kicked me in the, kicked me in the gut when, I, when the Lord showed me this. Because I'm thinking about this, the resurrection time, presence of Jesus, God is going to totally, we're going to be totally fulfilled in him. It's going to be awesome. We don't even know what it's like, but it's going to be awesome. And then I thought about this, and the Lord put this on my heart. On this earth, my role is to help my spouse grow and fall more in love with Jesus. Let me say that again. On this earth, as long as I'm married, as long as I have this role of a husband, on this earth, my role is to help my spouse grow and fall more in love with Jesus. If ultimately Pam is going to be in the presence of her Savior and Creator, then my role here is to help her to grow to love him even more. You don't hear this too often, do you? Because it's all about us, we think. And her role is the same to help me. But we don't see this very often. 
and this is what convicted me. The best way that I can help Pam to grow more in love with her creator is for me to fall more in love with my creator and to know him and to worship him. And so if I am growing in that relationship, then I'm able to help her grow in that relationship. And I know somebody is in the room and you're saying, listen, my, uh, my spouse is not even a Christ follower, Mark. Uh, they're not a believer of any kind. Uh, we just got married. I, I thought he was funny and good looking or, or she was attractive and this kind of stuff. And we just got married. They're not even a believer. They're not even a believer. You know, um, read First Peter sometime. First Peter, Peter dealt with this in First Peter. He says to live in such a way with their unbelieving spouse that you may win them over without words. In other words, there is a life to live and love that's even going to help an unbeliever. Maybe to come to their creator. Maybe it's not the best relationship. I understand that. It's unequally yoked. And kids, students, kids in the room, take this very seriously. Don't become unequally yoked with an unbeliever. You know, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a struggle. And so we have a role as husbands to help our wife fall more in love with her creator. Wives have a role to help me fall more in love with my creator. When you date someday, you don't want to date somebody that's not going to challenge you to grow in your relationship with Christ. That's pretty cut and dry. So, ultimately is this. Marriage problems are usually spiritual problems. I'm not saying there aren't communication glitches. I'm not saying there aren't other things. But you know as well as I do, the majority are just spiritual problems. We have a hard time laying down our rights for the sake of others. I'll end with this parable. Some of you have probably heard it before, but it was actually came out in Reader's Digest in 1988. It was written by a lady by the name of Patricia McGear. And uh, there have been many different forms of it, but I'll try to give you Living Bible abbreviated story. There was a reporter who went down to South South Pacific Islands as he was visiting there. He asked a person about a business dealing while he was there, and one of the guys, tongue-in-cheek with laughter, he said, you need to talk to Johnny Lingo. And he kind of started laughing. And uh, he said, well, what's the deal about Johnny Lingo? And they kind of said, oh, he's the best at, at making deals on the whole island. And so he thought, I need to look into this a little bit more while they're mocking this guy and, and what's the deal. And they, they said, here's the deal. He said, uh, he gave eight cows for a wife. Because you see the way they dealt with uh, talking to a dad about having their, their daughter to marry them, they would do it through cows. Four cows, three cows, five cows maybe. But Johnny Lingo paid eight cows. So he said, i got to look into this thing a little bit more. So he went to the dad, and uh, he talked to the dad, and, and uh, he said, what's this deal about Johnny Lingo? And he said, well, he said, my daughter, um, who was, in the words, homely, not endowed, not enhanced in any way physically, very shy, very bent over, stooped, no confidence, skinny, no, no, nothing that would draw you to her in that particular way. He said, uh, this was my daughter. 
He said, and my wife and I had talked, maybe, just maybe we can get somebody to give one cow for Sarita, our daughter, so that maybe, just maybe, that she can marry. Well, along shows up Johnny Lingo. And he said, Johnny Lingo comes, and he said, I don't even negotiate. He just says, I want to give eight cows. I want to marry your daughter. I want to give you eight cows for your daughter. He said, so I jumped all over that, and he delivered the eight cows. And I said, here's my daughter. They got married, and they took off. And we haven't seen them since. He said, i got to check this out. He said, they are living on the other island down there. So he took off to the other island because he had to hear the rest of this story on what was going on with Johnny Lingo and Sarita and why you pay eight cows for someone that in the, in the physical realm and the, and the capacity of what you would look for wasn't fully there. And so he goes and, and uh, he finds Johnny Lingo and Johnny Lingo's at his house by himself. So they go in and start sitting down and Johnny Lingo's very hospitable toward him coming. And then they begin to talk and, and, uh, and so uh, he says, tell me, Johnny, what, what was the deal? And he said, he said, um, he said, oh, I, I, uh, I love Sarita. I, and so I paid out eight cows for Sarita. And all of a sudden this lady comes walking in to the house she was gorgeous she was she was beautiful she was confident she just came sweeping in with a, a glow about her that that was incredible and she she served them some and and uh and and now she swept her way back out and the guy was just caught in the beauty of this woman he said who was that and johnny said that's my wife and he thought oh no they have polygamy on this island, uh, and and Johnny said, no. He said, no, that's Sarita. And uh, and so the reporter says, man, what happened? He said, you know, he said, you think about it. He said, what goes through a girl's mind if the dad says one cow? Hopefully we can get one cow for her. And then she gathers with the other ladies at the watering hole or whatever, and somebody starts bragging about how they were four-cow bride, and they were a three-cow bride, and they start talking about this, and there would be Cerrito just as a, as a, a one-cow bride, and, and think how she would feel about herself. She said, I loved Cerrito. I've loved her since we were kids. And the, and the reporter's thinking, oh, okay, you kind of did this at a vanity kind of thing or, or happiness. And he said, he said, no. He said, I love Sarita from when the time we were little kids. And I, I, wanted to, uh, I wanted to show her. But you see, Sarita needed to know how much I loved her, but she needed to know how much she was worth eight cows. He said, and I wanted an eight-cow wife. And that's what he got. Now, why not share that story? It's a great story, but it's this. I can love my wife in such a way to help her grow more in love with her creator that she can has the worth now to grow into whatever God has called of her. We have challenge before us as husbands and wives and to be married and, and uh, you that have uh, uh, maybe you're married again or, or you're single again or whatever your role you're, you're walking in life. I want you to know, first of all, you are worth immense to your creator. He's not counting score somewhere on where you may have messed up. He loves you unconditionally. 